This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester questions uh, that are often asked about tongues. We'll be addressing those in this episode. Uh, if you're if you're new to Remnant Radio, this is a specific broadcast that we have at the end of the week on Wednesdays where we address conversations about the gifts of the Spirit. Typically, Remnant Radio, we're having conversations with uh, pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians, but uh, in this week, uh, we're, we're talking about the, the gifts of the Spirit opposed to our normal conversations on theology. So uh, Miller is there in Denver, Colorado. How are you doing today, Miller? What? what? Hey there. Yeah. and this is, me, uh, this is me raising the roof. I don't know if you can tell that. Yeah, you are you are raising the roof. There's need for oh, it in the dungeon. You're actually raising the floor because you're in the basement. Um, but <laughs> semantics. Uh, today we are talking about tongues. We're going to be grappling with some of those questions. We have an audience right now that is watching on Facebook and on YouTube. So if you're getting uh, comments as they're coming, if you would let me know if you're watching on Facebook so that I can get these comments in here and make sure that we're getting both of those streams. That stream will be about 30 minutes. So as we're going through this, the 30-minute mark will cut off and we'll We'll let you guys follow over here on YouTube uh, with our main audience. So uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. We're going to be addressing a lot of the the tongues questions. We decided not to do an entire episode on charismatic abuses and entire episode on uh, 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 talking about the way that they're going to be practiced, just because it's hard to separate them. They're, the answering one question actually fixes the cessation the, the continuation yeah. yeah so it, we would be creating repeat content so instead we just decided to ask some questions in here and uh, and address them to the best of our ability uh miller do you have any uh any kind of preface before the show starts that you want to remind people of uh sure you know we've got a we've been having a lot of visitors coming out to the church since we started doing this podcast and i'm really excited about that uh, I feel like on some level I need to apologize because I think people come uh, after hearing the podcast and they come to the church expecting it's all gifts all the time. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, we're, we're a pretty normal church. And yes, we do experience gifts of the spirit. But since we're a new church plant, that's not always happening. So but anyway, for those who are interested in, in coming and checking us out, please feel free to do so. We're uh, called Reclamation Church and we meet in the Platte Park area at Hope Community Church. We meet inside their basement at 6 p.m. on Tuesday evenings, Mountain Standard Time. That's it. It's great. Yeah. And I, I just want to, on the on the tail end of that, that's something that's been on the forefront of, of my mind recently in talking about the gifts. I, I ended last week's episode talking that or saying something to the effect that I don't want the gifts of the Spirit to be a distraction from the gospel. So um, I'm really hoping that if you're watching our content regularly and you're watching a lot of our content on the gifts of the Spirit, that you are plugged into a local church somewhere, um, that you're going to a place that is preaching through the scriptures. If you're hanging out in spaces and all the content you're consuming, all the things that you're studying, all the things that you're interested in are the gifts of the Spirit, um, you're you're going to become very unbalanced. We, we want to talk about things in the scriptures as the scripture talks about them. So we want to make an emphasis of things that the Bible makes an emphasis of. So there's tons of content 
um, uh, online right now about atonement, about the crucifixion, about the resurrection, about union with Christ. And we would encourage you to continue to study that content and be a part of a local church where you're learning about other things. What we've realized, though, as a show uh, is that there's so many people in the cessationist world who are interested in the gifts of the Spirit and so many people who are in the hyper-charismatic world um, who, who don't that, that think that there's probably some safer ground um, in the gifts of the Spirit. They still believe in it, but man, what they're experiencing right now is abusive and hurtful. So we're just trying to create a space. If you feel like, man, we're creating a lot of content on the gifts, just know it's because we keep getting emails of people who are getting breakthrough, well, getting change and uh, being yeah. touched. Yeah. Well, we want to do say? that. We, we actually we want to put out content on the gifts that we feel like has... Uh, the balanced approach that we ourselves were searching for. And That's honestly, right. I think it's because there's not a whole lot out there. So it's meeting a need that is missing in the church as a whole. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would say the same. I think that there's a lot of content that's being written. And we want to point you to that content. All the links are in the description for recommended reading there on YouTube. Uh, go check those out. I think most of us, what we're doing is we're just kind of regurgitating what we hear, we're hearing theologians say on the subject. Um because they're not producing content on YouTube. They're writing it in books. Uh, anyway, uh, good stuff. We're, we're going to tackle some questions. Michael, question number one, what, are, uh, what were uh, people saying when they spoke in tongues, both in the Bible and today? What are people saying when they speak in tongues? So we've got two passages that speak to this, and that's it. Only two passages in all of Scripture. And so one of them is Acts chapter 2, where it says they're speaking in other tongues, um, and they were speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And that would make sense when you think about who all was present. you got people from all over Judaism that had been dispersed abroad, and they're all back in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so when they're hearing this, they're going, hold on a second. Aren't these people like, how do they know our language? So it was meant to be a sign and a wonder and the beginning foundation of getting the church spread. I mean, when you think about the agenda of God to recapture all the nations. Michael Heiser talks about this a lot. Um, all the, the nations that are listed in Acts chapter 2 are the same ones that are listed in Genesis chapter 10, uh, which sets up the story for for Babel, right? Which is interesting, right? Babel language, you know. Uh, anyway, so the nations get separated, and he, this is God's means of recapturing the nations, of taking them back. And the way he started to do that was through this particular gift, um, but then also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All of these people come to faith, I think 3,000. And then where are they going to go? Back to those nations where they're going to share the story of these things. So Acts chapter 2, they're speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And then you've got a passage in 1 Corinthians 14. And we see of a couple different things that are taking place when a person speaks in tongues. Uh, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, the one who speaks in a tongue, or actually we should probably go to 14, 2, for the one speaking in tongues does not speak to people, but to God, for no one understands, he's speaking mysteries by the Spirit. Okay, so he's speaking to God, that, or the, that person is speaking to God. So that's prayer. But then it goes, it gets a little crazier because if a person has interpretation alongside it, he says, um, let me just say, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the whole church may be strengthened. And then he kind of elaborates on what that means with interpretation. He says, if I speak to you by revelation, uh, by knowledge or prophecy or teaching, which are all gifts. I mean, a couple of those are gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy. Uh, in this case, he includes that tongues could potentially be a revelation or also a teaching, so long as there's interpretation. 
So all of those things are the kind of things a person could be saying in tongues. That's right. And I would say that there's probably, at least potentially, in Acts 10, 44 through 46, when it talks about Cornelius speaking in tongues, Paul affirms in verse 46 of, again, Acts 10, uh, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. So um, it's possible oh, a third that they were That's speaking right. in tongues and extolling God, two separate things, or uh, they were speaking in tongues uh, by or they were extolling God by speaking in tongues. Um, the the reason I would not qu- qualify this one as a for sure third is just the way it's written. It could be either or, but it's at least potentially suggesting that tongue speech is some kind of worship or praise unto God. Um, uh, at least uh, not biblically, but uh, semantically in my own experience, uh, when I shared the story, I think last week, we were in a prayer meeting amongst Christians and and we were speaking in tongues in this meeting. A woman from Croatia comes up to me and asks me, um, starts speaking to me in Croatian and then asks me, okay, you don't speak this language. I asked her, what, what was I saying, you know, in Croatian? And she told me that it was worship. It was, it was song. It was music. If it was, uh, uh, not necessarily singing, I'm not a singer, but it, it was uh, praise unto God, if you will. So uh, at least semantically, my experience lines up with what I think the scripture says, um, which I think is important because it's it's not um, necessarily, though music can be evangelistic, um, it doesn't explicitly say that they were preaching the gospel expositionally or they were giving a call unto repentance through the speaking in tongues. In fact, the speaking in tongues was some kind of praise that was getting the attention of people. And then the preaching was necessary to explain what was happening. So the tongues mm-hmm. themselves were not the preaching. Um, preaching came subsequent to the tongues. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Man, there's, there's a lot of really great questions coming in on the YouTube. And I, I just I don't know if we'll be able to get to all of them. Um, you you want to sidestep and answer one of the questions that's coming in? Yeah, somebody asked about my personal testimony. I, I shared a story about getting um, where I was just sort of under the power of God. It was a once experience, never happened before or since. Um, and in that experience, I was crying and wailing at the top of my lungs. And this person asked me, could that be tongues? Uh, I don't think so. Um, because you, you see all kinds of stories of people being touched by God and crying. And, and that makes sense when the presence of God comes, you know, knees will knock, people will fall on their face. Um, they literally get knocked down on the power of God. And even with, with the power of angels being around, that happens as well. Um, so I don't think that was a gift of tongues. Uh, I think um, because I just to be fair, I also do speak in tongues today. I've had people understand me speaking in fluent Portuguese on a few occasions uh, and other languages I don't even know. Um and that is something entirely different, at least experientially speaking, it's entirely different from what I understand. Uh, another question someone's asking is, in a prayer room, is it okay for people to be singing in tongues? Mm. Um, I think the, the question of context is, is super important. Okay, so in this meeting, is it a prayer meeting where everybody in the room are people you know and are part of your community um, and they're informed about the gifts of the Spirit? Or is it in a setting where there's unbelievers, uh, people visiting the church, or people uninformed about gifts? Because those two settings make a big difference on how you practice a gift, right? I don't necessarily evangelize a believer. I evangelize an unbeliever. So who you're around makes a difference on how you're going to present certain things. Um, 
in, in the case of those who are unbelievers or unfamiliar with gifts, I would say, no, you shouldn't be speaking or singing in tongues without an interpreter. Now, if it's a small group setting, let's say Josh and I wanted to have a, some time in prayer, just the two of us, I'd have no problem with him speaking in tongues. And he would have no problem with me speaking in tongues. In that kind of context, nobody's going to see it as a sign of judgment or be terrified by it, which is the whole thing Paul is trying to avoid. So, Yeah, uh, there's another question that, that just came in. Um, of these questions, let me try to get it pulled up. <clears throat> I do believe in tongues of the Holy Spirit, uh, but the co- what causes me confusion is the whole kundalini thing. Uh, like, how do I know what is what? How do I know if this is me speaking in tongues of of the Spirit, or if this is some kind of false spirit that is uh, creating a replica-like sign? Um, I would say that there's a couple of things that that we can make a distinguishing marker against, right? One, the kundalini thing um, is uh, being propagated and promoted by false teaching, right? No one in the, uh, the was it Krish- something Hinduism, the, the Krishanti, or I'm not pronouncing it correctly, where they're laying hands on people and they're falling over and they're shaking violently and speaking in unknown languages. Uh, this practice is being practiced by people who do not profess Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. First uh, John tells us that we can test the spirits about how they speak of Jesus. So if you're following a person who's trying to impart something to you and the person who's trying to impart this thing to you is following something that is not Christ or is not rightly Christ, uh, then you should not receive any kind of prayer or impartation from that person. Another one that me and Michael like to use is in the Gospels of both Matthew and Luke, uh, the parable that Jesus gives. He says, hey, um, they're, uh, they're amongst you are evil fathers, but even you who are evil, if your son comes to you, ask for, for a fish or asking for a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a rock or a scorpion or a snake and much more who your father is in heaven will not give bad gifts to those who ask or, and the other passage will say the Holy spirit to those who ask. So in both of these passages, how do we know uh, that this is not a demonic spirit? Well, if we ask God, Jesus Christ, who is in heaven, who has promised these gifts, if I ask him for a good gift, he's not going to give me a demon. He's not going to give me a scorpion or a serpent because he's a good father, right? Um, and then secondly, uh, uh, and finally, I should say in James, um, when we ask for a bad thing, if we're asking our father who is in heaven, right? James chapter, um, you do not have, you have not because you ask not. Do you know what chapter that's it? that is, Michael? I'm not coming up with it. Uh, James head. 4. James four, yeah, you you have you you do not have because you do not ask, and when you do ask, you ask to spend on your own pleasures, to spend on your own carnal earthly desires. Um, so if you're asking for a tongue tongues that is inappropriate, ungodly, uh, demonic, God's not going to give it to you because it's not good for you. So we have one passage saying he's going to give you good things and not bad things. And another passage where it says, if you're asking for bad things, he's not going to give you bad things. He'll only give you good things. So in both accounts, I would suggest that um, uh, you as a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior are safe. Uh, and that if you're yeah. asking God for things and if you're following, getting prayer from your Christian brothers who are following the rightly articulated Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, um, then you're good. Um, I'd be I'd yeah. be careful of following false doctrine and asking for weirdness. One, there's a ditch on the on either side of this because you don't want to overinflate the power of the enemy. That's right. Uh, we also don't want to pretend like he's not there. Yeah. Um, and so we have some 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 of those kind of passages to bring us comfort in knowing that we're actually wa- if we're walking with God, that's probably not going to be the case that you're suddenly going to be manifesting a Kundalini spirit. Um, 
I, I know there's a lot of questions on here and some of these I don't know if we'll get to. And you're asking some like really great questions and I wish I could get to all of them. And, and so thank you guys for doing that. I think if we there's a couple of questions I think we need to answer because it might actually answer all of this in one go. Uh, specifically, the next question you had on our list, Josh, what was the purpose for speaking in tongues? You want to start with that? So, Yeah. You want me to answer? You want to jump in? I mean, I've got. I'm I've got a, a couple lot, so. of I've got a couple of things written down. I just went on a spiel. I feel wrong to to keep going, uh, but no, I've no, I've I, got I, like I've got a couple. I've got one. I I would say edification. First Corinthians fourteen four. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So it seems as if in the context of First Corinthians fourteen, uh, the way tongues is being practiced uh, is for self edification. Uh, Paul uh, will then go on to say in First Corinthians chapter fourteen. I believe it is in verses 17 and 18. He says, uh, you may be giving thanks well enough without interpretation. He's like, you may be thanking God and praising God well enough, but if other persons are around, they're not being built up, right? That's not helpful. Uh, verse 18, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Never, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak uh, five words with my mind, right? So he's saying, I speak in tongues, but when I'm in church, I'd rather speak in a known language that we can all agree upon. So it seems as if uh, tongues is being used for personal edification for Paul and his personal, and this is where we get the idea of a personal prayer language. I wouldn't necessarily say that there is a separate gift of tongues as much as I would say there's one I mean, gift I mean, of I, tongues. There's, there's no difference for between a reasons. prayer language and a gift of tongues. Those two sure. things are synonymous. That's, well, in context of 1 Corinthians 14, there are other times in the Bible where they're going to talk about praying in the Spirit. Um, here, when he says praying in the Spirit, he means tongues because it's in the context. Yeah. Um, and the same with that, yeah. So yeah, what's another one, Michael? What's another reason for tongues? Well, so you got to think of it this way. Um, why would God give us a language to worship or pray in? Like, what's the what's the reason behind that? Now, I'm, I'm sort of getting... Uh, I'm trying to. I'm probably going a bit rationalistic here rather than biblical, and and I, I hope you'll follow my line of reasoning here and not hold it against me, um, and, and just evaluate it. Take it because it, it is not necessarily me speaking scripture here, but take it for what what you can, or evaluate it. Um, so why would somebody need help with prayer? Well, practically speaking, have you ever been in a situation where you know you want to pray, but you're suddenly lacking the words to pray? That's why it's God giving you a means to pray when you don't know how to. And so one of the, the abuses that I hear and misuses of tongues um, or teaching uh, when people teach on tongues is they'll say, hey, listen, if you're praying in tongues, that's a more spiritual prayer. I'm like, no, that's that doesn't make you more spiritual by praying in tongues. Um, it's really not the spiritual person who prays in tongues. It's the person who doesn't know how to pray. That's in a place of of humbleness and, and doesn't know what to say next. And so that should also help for those who are wondering, why don't I have that gift? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you able to pray? Like, do you find that you, that you are able to be articulate in times when even it's difficult, you just suddenly know how to pray even in your own language. Uh, and I would say that's just as much praying in the spirit. Um, to pray in the spirit doesn't mean that it has to be tongues only, although certainly praying in tongues is praying in the spirit. Um, but it boils down to that. It's not the super spiritual that have the gift of tongues. It's those who in a moment in time don't know how to pray. And I find myself there a lot of the time. Like when it comes to praying for my kids, um, 
I am without words. I don't know what to pray. And it's often because sometimes I feel like I'm being a bad father and I'm like, maybe I should be praying for myself. Uh, and tongues is really helpful at that time. Or if I'm praying for somebody who's sick, uh, especially a loved one or a family member, um, I don't always know how to pray, but I just want to keep praying because I care. And so in that moment, praying in tongues, it, it, it allows me to do that in a way that bypasses my, my failure and my frailty. So that's what I, I would think, say to that. I think there's that, biblical evidence for that as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tag some Bible verses onto what Michael's saying. Um, I want to be very clear. Romans 8, 26 through 27 is not about tongues, right? Romans yeah, 8, 26 through 27 there. isn't about tongues, but tr- walk with me through this train of f- this thought, right? Okay. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how, what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes through us with, uh, he talks about groans, right? But, but here we learn that the Spirit can pray through us when we don't know what to pray. When our mind can't think of something to pray, the Spirit can pray through us. Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, Paul says, for I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So here Paul is saying that speaking in tongues is, again, something that is spiritual. So to Michael's point, um, if you are limited in your ability to pray, you can pray in tongues, uh, something that your mind is preventing you as a limitation from uh, uh, the charismatic term pressing in, but continuing in to pray, uh, I think is, is a good reason. So I would say that uh, for one, uh, prayer is good for edification. Uh, to praying in tongues is good for edification, personal building up. And and what Michael would just say, I would say guidance. That's guidance in prayer. The gift of tongues can be used to guide us in prayer. Um, when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit can can use the gift of tongues to to, to navigate that prayer. Um, uh, I would yeah, say the, that the, that's the point, ahead. right? It's it, well, the name of the Holy Spirit is the Helper. Right? That's that's the point. He's trying to help us in our own weakness. And I think the I, I think what I'm trying to the bone I have to pick is the Pentecostal world that uh, exaggerates that gift um, to make them look like they've arrived and they've got it. They yeah. found the secret to the Christian life. And man, if those cessationist evangelical brothers and sisters would just get on board. And I, I think that's a really condescending thing that God never intended. Um, I agree. The gifts are not about creating disunity. They're actually about creating unity. And the whole point of the gifts in First Corinthians 12 is that you have this gift, you have this gift, but together we make a whole body. Mm-hmm. It's actually to bring us together so we're interdependent upon one another. And that's kind of the way the, the, the gift of tongues is sort of beautiful in that sense because uh, in order for that to be really useful in the body as a whole, it requires somebody else's gift called interpretation. That's what makes it beneficial. We're interdependent. No, and that's actually the next reason I have. What is the gift of tongues for? You talked about unifying, not dividing. Um, this is actually what it was used for in the book of Acts. 16 different geographical regions heard them speaking in their language, and they were brought together. In Acts chapter 10, verses 46 through 48, uh, we mentioned it earlier at Cornelius's place, uh, Peter shows up and is like, hey, can we withhold water from them to being baptized? And then the very next chapter in Acts 11, 15 through 18, uh, uh, we see that Paul, uh, Peter is explaining to the council, hey guys, they received the Spirit the same way we did, um, so they received repentance, they received the Word of God, uh, and as we were speaking in tongues, I didn't, I didn't finish my sermon, and they began to speak in tongues, uh, and they received this unknown language, and it actually brought them together, it unified, so historically the gift of tongues was used for Gentile inclusion. Um, so, so we have edification, guidance in prayer, 
yeah, affirmation of Gentile inclusion, and it was used as known human languages. Uh, we've talked about that yeah. earlier in Acts chapter 2. So uh, there's a RWD, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but forgive me if I'm not. You've been asking some great questions, and, and you said, uh, the view that you hold actually begs the question, are those who don't speak in tongues, don't have the ability to pray in tongues, therefore, when they really have a need? So, okay, the question's not entirely clear, but I think I know what you're getting at. Um, I think the the yes, I would say that, that that might be different. Like God is actually helping people to pray by giving them that gift. But it's also, there's also this sense in which, uh, listen, if you don't pray in tongues, that doesn't mean God won't help you. He absolutely will. This is one of the ways that God helps, not the only way that God helps. Um, and then, uh, Alexandra, you said, if they're speaking in gibberish, it's not a gift. If there isn't an interpreter, it's useless. Um, Paul doesn't say that. He actually says, if there's not an interpreter, it still edifies the self. It's not necessarily useful for the rest of those who are meeting in the church. And I would agree with that in sense. It's fruitless for those who don't understand, which is why we should have interpretation. And, and just to be fair, I, I think the gift of interpretation is the most neglected gift uh, of that Christ has given the church. That's right. And I would uh, pick up one of the questions in here from uh, Wesley. Wesley is saying, hey, Mormons spoke in tongues in the beginning. Shouldn't that be troubling? And again, I would just say that uh, the kind of same Kundalini answer I gave from before um, is that there are going to be false prophets and there's going to be false signs. Uh, Jesus warns us of those things, but he never says, hey, guys, yeah. <laughs> um, because there's false prophets and false signs, don't believe the real prophets and the real signs. Um, <laughs> because there's the bad teaching. Should we throw the gift of teaching out? That's right. There, there's a, there's Mormons accounts. teach all the time, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think that uh, this idea so we have two different things. We always say compare the gift of tongues to the gift of teaching. That's always an example. That's what Michael just did. Okay, because there's an abuse, the gift must be ir irrelevant. Well, there's other people who teach falsely. Should we get rid of teaching? No, so that doesn't work. We also have to ask, does this argument work in the first century, right? Was there glossolalia taking place in the first century? Yes, there was. John MacArthur goes out of his way to explain that in the first century, there were uh, people who would speak in gibberish, uh, unknown languages, uh, and they were marked as people who preached not the God of Israel, not Jesus. Um, and, and, and there were false healings and false miracles that were happening. Is that to say that there weren't real tongues happening in the first century or real healings or real miracles happening in the first century? No. Uh, so the argumentation doesn't hold up because there's false. Therefore, all of the real must be false. Nope. Because that, that, that didn't exist in the first century. It can't be a sufficient argument for today. Um, any additional thoughts to that, Miller? Uh, well, there's a, another thing, comment made about um, speaking in tongues. He's saying, are you saying that since you speak in tongues, you found the secret to prayer? No, I <laughs> no. didn't say that. I said it's one way that God helps people to pray. That's it. Um, and that's as far as I would go with it. Uh, I think it's a gift of the Spirit, just like, do I think I found the secret to seeing people healed with a gift of healing? Well, no, I think that's one way God heals. He also heals people through doctors. Uh, I, I think that to assume otherwise is to add, to add too much, put too much into the conversation to say things that I'm not saying. That's so. right. And and we'll, we'll go out of our way. Uh, Michael and I, I think it's worth bringing up. Um, we don't believe the gift of tongues makes you greater. We don't think the tongues, uh, the gift of tongues makes you a more spiritual Christian. Uh, we do think the gifts of tongues is helpful 
We think it edifies you and builds you up. Just like any other. (laughs) Like all the gifts. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that probably was going to lead us into, I think this is our next question. Uh, this one says, is there a difference between private, private prayer language and the use of the gift of interpretation, like uh, public tongues and private tongues? We could probably knock that one out really well, quick, th- Michael. That, that question is a little confusing. Do you mean, is it a different gift or do you mean that it's a different language or do you mean that uh, it's a different use? What do you, so, what do you ask? I, I think that's even begs the question. So the question is, is there a difference between a private prayer language and the public use of tongues? Is there a difference? And in that, I think that's probably what we need to flesh <laughs> one of out. Private, one of them is private, <laughs> one of them is private, one of them is public. Are they the same gift or are they different gifts, Michael? Um, okay. So my take, and, and again, I don't, I don't think there's a bunch of scriptural evidence to say one way or the other, uh, but there's only one word used from 1 Corinthians 12 through 1 Corinthians 14. It's just the word tongue. Right. Um, and they don't change it out. There's the word prayer language is not in there. There's just simply a tongue that you pray in. Um, and so, and and it seems to be that the same word is used for uh, tongues when it comes to there being interpretation, which would be done in a public way. It's the same word. So I don't see, I don't think it's a different gift. I think it's a the same gift, but being used in different ways because there's someone to interpret. Um, I think somebody can just as well interpret, if they have that gift, you praying in tongues. And I've had that happen. I think it's quite possible that when you speak in tongues, you could be giving a teaching when there's an interpreter. You could be giving a revelation when there's an interpreter. You could be giving words of knowledge when there's an interpreter. Um, and you, but the thing is, you just don't really know what's possible or what's happening unless there's an interpreter. Uh, which also, somebody asked this question, um, how do I know that I'm really speaking in tongues? greatest way to know is someone with the gift of interpretation tells you, Hey, here's what you just said. Um, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, I don't, does that answer your question, Josh? That's my take on it. I, I think, no, I, I think, I think that's the, we, we would just say that there's one gift of tongues that is used in different ways. Um, and I'd say and, the same thing is true for English. What we speak right. and pray. I can pray in English. I can teach in English. I can prophesy in English. Yeah. I, I would say that the argumentation really comes from, um, I think a classical Pentecostal perspective uh, found in First Corinthians four, no, First Corinthians twelve, uh, verse ten that talks about various kinds of tongues, um, and then uh, in, in later on in that passage, there's a uh, in in First Corinthians chapter twelve it says, "Do all speak in tongues?" Um, and the Pentecostals want to say that anyone who's received the baptism, which is accessible for all Christians, everyone is going to speak in tongues as a, as an evidence of that baptism. Uh, so then they have to say, well, all don't speak in tongues. So they have to create two different kinds of tongues because they mm-hmm. believe the baptism is for everyone. But then they go, oh, but see, there's various kinds of tongues in verse 10. That must mean there's there's multiple gifts of tongues. One, that's a private prayer language. And a second one that is known human language and maybe even a third one that's a, a, a heavenly language that needs to be interpreted. So they're going to create categories of tongues. Michael and I uh, wouldn't find ourselves in the classical Pentecostal position. Uh, we would just say, there's just one gift that the various tongues in first Corinthians, uh, uh, 12, 10 is probably just different known languages, like speaking in Swahili oh, or Mandarin or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's take a statistic here. Um, the statistic of those, uh, so the, the official statement on the assembly of God, um, denomination for the baptism of the spirit is that the speaking of tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy spirit. Um, here's the irony. 
40% of those who are Assembly of God members speak in tongues. And so then you got to ask the question, so is the baptism of the Spirit only for those 40%? Do you really want to have a doctrine that that divides the body of Christ into the haves and the have-nots? Um, I think it's actually a bit divisive uh, more than it is helpful. And, and you find that a lot of people within that denomination don't actually believe that. Most of them believe that tongues is just a gift and maybe an evidence rather than the evidence, although that is their f- uh, official position. Now, I disagree with the position, even just the idea of it being an evidence. I, I just don't think that the baptism ha- of the spirit has to do with speaking in tongues uh, or gifts in, in general. It's my take that the baptism of the spirit is what puts us into Christ. Like we become one body because of that thing. You go into the immersion of the spirit and you come out in the body of Christ, which is what I believe 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is actually encouraging. But that that's probably another episode entirely to defend that position. So yeah. we'll just leave it at there, letting you know what my position is. And we'll try to, to defend it at some other point in time. Yeah, and we're going to continue to follow through our questions here in the document, and uh, we're going to continue taking questions here in the live chat on YouTube, but we're going to say bye to our Facebook audience. going to say see you later because most people don't watch an hour-long Facebook live video. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna cut off the, the feed here, and we will see you, if you're still interested, over here on YouTube. Uh, and for those of you who are on video. YouTube, nothing will end for you. We'll still be nothing on YouTube. Nothing changes for you guys. Michael, you want to read that next question? Yeah, sure. Should missionaries witness in tongues? Josh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is actually a story uh, that happened in Azusa, right? I think we talked about this a little bit last week, that people actually went to uh, a a foreign nation uh, with a speech that they did not know, and they began to speak in tongues over there, thinking that the language that they were going to be speaking was going to be understood by the hearers. Uh, And in fact, that did not happen. Um, uh, That being said... Uh, I think it's possible that the Holy Spirit would give you unction. Um, I, I've heard stories of people being in countries uh, where they were going to be arrested, and they begin to speak in tongues, and the people that are holding them freak out um, and uh, just kind of let them go. Uh, I mean, I've heard all kinds of... Have you, have you heard stories like this, right? Not really. No? I mean, I've heard of people coming into a church, and people are speaking in tongues with no interpretation, and they're like, okay, I'm out. Oh yeah, feel really uncomfortable and leave. Well, I uh, I'm specifically talking about like uh, uh, guards holding missionaries and like we're taking you to jail and they're like uh and they just speak in tongues. They got nothing else to do. I mean, at that moment, it's like swing for the fences, you know. Whatever. Oh, dude, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Break into emergency tongues when you're being carried away. It's <laughs> one so of the various kinds of tongues this in First like Corinthians a, twelve. Emergency Hail, Hail tongues. Mary tongues. <laughs> Okay, so um, <laughs> I would say as a normative practice, no. Um, now, can you be on the well, mission field? I, I, can you be in the church and there be interpretation? Can you be led to do so? Would God use it? Absolutely. Uh, but should you just go over to a bunch of people that don't speak your language and just speak in tongues hoping they're going to get saved? No. Well, so here's where I would leave it. I would say, do you feel led by God to do that? Yeah. Because if so, something may happen. Now, I've been in a foreign country where I've done this and somebody understood me speaking fluent Portuguese. So, but I also felt led to pray in tongues. Um, and, and for the record, it's not like I 
can just speak in Portuguese. I can't. I don't know Portuguese. Uh, but that's happened. So I think there's times when it might possibly be God leading people to do that, but I wouldn't just do it. Um, I mean, this is the whole idea that Jesus mentions, right? We, Jesus did what he saw his father doing. He was an example for us so that when we get the spirit that was on him, uh, we would begin to do the works that he did. Some of them, obviously. We're not going to uh, die for the sins of the world. Yeah, uh, there's a question that came in here. Uh, I think we've addressed this a couple of times, but from Kathy, she's talking about the, the, the groups of people who just like get in churches together and they all just speak in tongues in this big uproar with no interpretation of tongues. Um, would we say, hey, uh, that's out of bounds? I would. Um, and I think what we're saying in church, we're talking about the local assembly, the gathering of the, the yeah, Christian assembly not, where there's unbelievers in their midst. Not a good practice. We're going to say, no. Me and Michael both don't like that. We would say that's a charismatic excess. Um, and we'd say, no, that's not practicing it uh, in the way 1 Corinthians 14 commands. So we would say no. Not into that. Now, I would hope that at any church, if someone's about to speak in tongues, they've identified people with the gift of interpretation. Um, and I mean, here's the thing about interpretation. You're never going to know if someone can interpret unless someone speaks in tongues. However, in a environment where there's a bunch of people who aren't believers, unfamiliar with the church, visiting guests. It's probably not the place to try to discover those gifts. Um, it's probably best done in a, in a smaller home group setting or a, a special equipping night of some sort where you're training in the gifts and having these kind of conversations. Um, no. So, so all that to say, we would disagree with that as a practice. Uh, we don't think people should be doing that. Excellent. Uh, I'm still, I'm like reading questions in here. Uh, you can look for questions as There's I There's a lot of good questions. Next. There's really yeah, good I questions. Know. I'm like, my questions aren't as good as those questions. Um, so uh, we've kind of touched on this already. Michael, I'll toss this over to you as I'm trying to read through some of the questions here in the, in the feed. Um, can all Christians speak in tongues? Um, and then the next, or yeah, can all Christians speak in tongues? And then the next question, the follow-up instantly is, do all Christians speak in tongues? So those are two very different questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so First Corinthians, would we agree, Josh, that it's written to believers? Yes. Okay, so then at the very end of First Corinthians 14, he says, uh, he says, all are not apostles, are they? What's the implied answer to that? No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you can ask a series of rhetorical questions where the default answer of these questions are no. And at the very the last one he asks, he says, all do not speak in tongues. Do they? And so some people will say, well, see, he, he's just saying not all do that, but they could. That's not the point. Are all, could all be apostles? Is that what he's saying? You could all be apostles, but you don't. That's, that's not the meaning of this. In the same way, he's not saying, oh, you could all be prophets. You just choose not to. So this can, or I can do it versus I do it. That's not at all uh, a delineation that Paul is making. He, the point he's making is, look, you've got a gift of healing. You've got a gift of tongues. You don't both have all the gifts and you don't have each other's gifts even. You actually need each other. That is the point of this, uh, the whole body metaphor. And so I would say, um, unequivocally, all believers do not speak in tongues. It is a gift sovereignly distributed by God himself not of our choosing. Now, that said, if you would like a gift of tongues, I know who you can go to to ask for it. Uh, he's the giver of gifts. And I don't <laughs> think he's a withholding giver. And so I would I would go to him. There, there was a time when I didn't get words of knowledge and I prayed fervently and for years 
Um, and today I, I see that happen quite often. I'll know people's names, I'll know their occupations, I'll know the prayer they prayed in secret. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough. Okay, so uh, not all speak in tongues. The answer is no, but can all speak in tongues? I mean, technically, I mean, there's nothing that's preventing a person from speaking in tongues. If they're a Christian, um, the only thing that that's preventing them is the sovereign hand of God. So sometimes God doesn't God give God didn't give that gift. Yeah. Yeah, right. And you can seek God for that gift, and maybe you're not going to get it because you're an eye, and he doesn't want you to be a tongue, or you're a finger, and he doesn't want you to be a toe, okay? We're all different parts of the body. That's what uh, the passage that Michael was reading there. I'd be, I'd be curious what you think, though, Michael, if um, all don't speak in tongues, and they can speak in tongues, um, is there reasons why some people might not speak in tongues? Could there be reasons that would prevent someone from speaking in tongues that are outside of just the sovereign hand of God? Sure. Yeah, that's actually true. Uh, I'll give you an example of someone who doesn't speak in tongues. Uh, me, when there's not an interpreter in a church service. No, <laughs> I can't. That... I don't. No, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, I meant, is there anything I know, that would... I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I, I don't think so. I know some people, they will doubt their gift and they'll say, how do I know it's really a uh, tongue? Because it feels so normal. It feels so natural. It's not like God is just taking my tongue and wagging it about. Um, and, and so I can, I can understand why somebody who's doubting whether what they're doing is actually tongues or not would do that. Um, and for that person, I would encourage you actually to continue to practice the gift, especially by yourself and see if it grows into something more. Uh, when I first started speaking in tongues, I thought it was just me and I thought it was just gibberish. Um, and I would forget what I said. And then later on, I would try to do it again. Just be like, I wonder if it's still, if I still have that gift and I would do it. And the same words would come out. I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And then over time, it sort of took on a life of its own. And, and today, um, like I said, I've had people understand me in fluent Portuguese. I've given messages and had people interpret. Uh, tons of times it's happened. Uh, my wife, um, she has a gift of interpretation. You know, she discovered that a bunch of her friends could speak in tongues. And she's like, well, I want that gift. And so they prayed for her. And they all spoke in tongues when they prayed for her. And she was like, oh, cool. And and she was starting to tear up because uh, of what was going on. And, and they were like, did you get it? And she's like, No. She goes, but what you said was really neat. And they're like, what do you mean? She goes, you guys don't understand what you're saying? And they were like, no. She goes, wait, 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 wait. Am I the only one who understood what you guys were saying? And they're like, yeah. And she's like, well, that's not what I, I mean, that's weird. Why, why is that? And they're like, well, that's another gift. She's like, it is? And she had no idea. She was a brand new Christian. She had no idea what various gifts were. And suddenly she's given a gift of interpretation. But guess what? She ain't speaking in tongues. So I don't know if I, I'm, I'm going a little bit long-winded on that question, Josh. No, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I would say that um, sovereignty, though, okay, so we're looking to God's sovereignty, but, but all people everywhere who believes God is sovereign, Armenians, Calvinists, all of, all of them believe that God still uses means. So um, in saying that God uses means, what we're saying is that a farmer can believe God has sovereignly called him to farm, but if he doesn't put seed in the ground— there will be no harvest. So I think that there is, and the same with evangelism, God sovereignly saves souls. God does that. 
How does he do that? He uses the means of his word and the preachers of his word. How will they believe if if they haven't heard the preacher, right? If no, if no one goes, how will they hear, right? So um, I would say that the gift of tongues at least requires belief, right? Um, I would say that the gift of tongues, if you don't believe the gift of tongues exists, if you're uh, if you're resistant to that gift, I don't believe in the same way that if you don't believe in evangelism, you're going to go out and do evangelism. Um, I, I would say that God uses means. I would say that, that belief is probably uh, somewhere in that. I think that, that if you're going to say, I don't believe in these gifts, but if they really exist, God's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. Well, the Bible says that the, the, the gift is subject to the prophet, right? So if you if you do get the gift and you just refuse to use the thing, you're, you, God's not sovereign in the way that he's going to come down and grab your tongue and flop it in your mouth. Um in any more than, you know, he's going to make you just take over your body and use you as a meat puppet to go pray for a sick person. So um, I would say that <laughs> don't use don't use sovereignty as an excuse to not earnestly desire and pursue because we're called to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, right? And the better ones, prophecy being one of them. Uh, but don't use yeah. the excuse of sovereignty to not ask for good gifts. That's what I would yeah, say. I got, you see the comment on here? The no. guy wrote, what a bunch of Christian nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, yeah. The, 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 he doesn't like what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> probably not, uh, no. There's a, there's a really good question that keeps coming up, and I haven't addressed it yet. I probably should. Um, and it's, well, if you're speaking in tongues and you don't know what you're saying, the, yeah. the person interprets... <laughs> How do you know that what they're saying is the real interpretation? <laughs> this yeah. is a very logical question. That's a good question. Um, so in the same way that I would know that a prophetic word is true, like if I look at you and I've never met you before and I say, hey, I feel like God has told me your name is Carl and that you've been praying for your little sister and uh, and God wants you to know he's heard your prayers. Well, if it turns out that your name is Carl and you had been praying for your little sister then you'd go, that was clearly God. And the same thing is true with interpretation. We've seen that happen where, um, and, and an example I have, uh, one of the guys that I was friends with um, was, I was praying in tongues. He could interpret what we were saying. Um, and he overheard my buddy praying in tongues as well uh, and interpreted what he said. And when my buddy was praying, uh, he heard him, and this was the interpretation. He's like, you were praying about some girl who was pregnant. And you were asking God to just bring peace to, to uh, her and the father. And the guy who was praying was like, that's crazy. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, my brother um, just got his girlfriend pregnant. And they're both really worried and they haven't told anybody. And so here he is interpreting that very thing. So how does he know that that was an interpretation? Well, the interpretation itself was confirmable. And I think that's true often uh, with interpretation. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, and this is a, a really good, um, this is a statement in here. It says, you must be careful to seek manifestations if your motive is not pure. And this is something we've oh, talked wh- about When is already. your motive ever pure about anything, though? That's right. I'm sorry. Uh, actually, that that, that was my, 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 my very point in talking about that. In, in that comment, what we see is that... Um, uh, we're we're sinful people, right? Like I definitely want God to be glorified, um, but I can have ulterior motives running in the background at the same time. Um, we have so, yeah mixed motives all the time with everything. All the time, absolutely. Um, I want God's church to grow as a pastor. Uh, if I'm on staff at a church, I want God's church to grow um, because 
I want him to be glorified. I want souls to be saved. Uh, those are two reasons right there. But then I also have I a guy who's been working at the church. I was about to say, I've got a guy who's working at the church for six years. He's never been paid. And I'd love to compensate him because a worker is worth his hire. Like I can have multiple motivations in one thing. Um, and and in talking about our motives being pure, again, I would just point people back to James chapter five and saying, hey, if you're if you if you have not, it's because you ask not. And when you do ask, you're looking to spin this on yourself. If there is something that would that would come to you that would be bad, if you have a bad motivation, God's not going to give you that thing because He's more worried about your character than He is worried about giving you a thing that you're gonna you're gonna flaunt or use improperly. Uh, so yeah. again, you have not because when you ask, you've got this selfish ambition, selfish desire. God's not going to give you that thing. So I wouldn't I wouldn't live in fear and asking for gifts. Um, because God is good and he gives good gifts. So I wouldn't be worried about that. You got any questions in there, Miller? Uh, no, I just, I'm just glad to know Wesley likes me. I'm growing on him. Good. Uh, should, <laughs> <laughs> um, should new converts speak in tongues to signify an inward transformation? So this is, again, a classic, not a classical Pentecostal position, but what would be confused with the UPC or the United Pentecostal Church that would claim that if you don't speak in tongues, there's no evidence of your salvation? Michael, what say ye? <laughs> no. Oh, Josh. <laughs> I was going to make a really bad joke. You're still refrain. reading comments? Or, okay. Yes. Refrain. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's the question again. Should a new Christian show speaking tongues to prove inward transformation that they're saved? Uh, yeah. No, because I don't think it's evidence of salvation. Um, and the fact is, I know some real jerks who speak in tongues. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's evidence of what that you could speak in tongues. I don't know. <laughs> that's it. Sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't mean I, I'm being a little cavalier about that. Forgive me for that. No, um, so we would say that uh, that that uh, UPC United Pentecostal Church, the Holiness Pentecostal Church, um, they're at they're aberrant movements from what would be called classical Pentecostalism, which believes that this is a second manifestation. Um, I've never uh, the, heard this question before. <laughs> the, oh yeah, the United Pentecostal Church would say that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved, and people will often just say Pentecostals say. Uh, and it's a bit of a mischaracterization, mostly because of ignorance. It's not like people are actually trying to misrepresent like the Assemblies of God and the Church of God. It's that they think that Pentecostals believe you have to speak in tongues to be saved. They don't realize it's a very small sect of United Pentecostal Church rather than the larger denominations. So, um, yeah, there's there's distinguishing markers. We would say no. So, uh, tongues doesn't prove that you're spiritual. Tongues doesn't prove that you're saved. Tongues isn't, for us, tongues isn't evidence of either your baptism and tongues is not evidence of your salvation. Um, but we would say, uh, well, I would say if you're praying in the Spirit authentically, you are saved, right? Because these are gifts of the Spirit. Um, but again, you've got that hard line to say that there are false gifts. So that's kind of an unnecessary delineation to go down that road. Um so should there be public uh, use of tongues when unbelievers are not present? I know we've talked about when they're present, we would say, no, we don't speak in tongues. Private prayer meetings, did we address that question earlier, Michael? Yeah, we did. I, like I said, I, I think it's context. If it's just you and me in a prayer meeting, I have no problem with it. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't do it on a public broadcast like this because I have no idea who's watching. Um, and some people, would it scare them flat out. And that's what happens in churches when you do it without there being interpretation. So. 
Okay, so uh, Jason Miller asks, what would you guys do about 1 Corinthians 13.9? I'm assuming that's the passage where it says that tongues will cease. We did talk about that no. yesterday. Uh, but no, hey, 13.9 is is uh, prophecy in part and no in part. I'm not sure what he means by that because it really doesn't have anything to do with tongues. Yeah. He- uh, yeah, Jason, just give us a repeat question on that. If, if you... Uh, if we're if you meant a different verse or if uh you know we're misunderstanding your question if the question's on prophecy we've done other videos on prophecy and if we do another q a like this on prophecy we'll we'll address that question there uh sorry about that i didn't have time to look uh, it helen asking a question why do some tongues sound like gibberish it's a good question i just don't know the answer <laughs> one of these days we can ask god when we see him because <laughs> I, well, I mean i'm with you there can be a couple of reasons, right? Like, I mean, we could at least say that there are people who are not speaking in tongues, but are going along with the group and are lathering themselves up in an unknown language that they're making up from their vain imagination. That's a distinct possibility. Um, it could be uh, just an an odd language. I mean, I, I know people who would repeat the same two syllables over and over again, and I'm, I have a hard time believing that's any language, whether spiritual or natural. Um, I don't know. Uh, so I, w- I would say that um, there are other reasons, right? It could be demonic. It could be fleshy. It could be the spirit. Don't know. I don't have a good answer for it, but there are definitely possible categories that could explain that. Um, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Uh, we're coming up to a question. Uh, this is a Morgan. She's a regular viewer. I haven't read your question yet, so I'm putting this up here, Morgan. Don't fail me. Uh, if you haven't answered this, how do you know if you actually have the gift uh, yes, you simply reacting to growing up being, I don't understand the phrasing of that question. Michael, do you understand that and question? She's like, so it's probably if you grew up and you were pressured to speaking in tongues, how do you know uh, that that's actually tongues? Sure. Uh, again, I, I think it's, uh, having somebody around who can interpret is super helpful to let you know. Um, I think there are people who start speaking in a language cause they, they, you know, felt pressure by their Pentecostal or a charismatic friends to do so. And they just wanted to get the whole thing over with. So they just shouted out some gibberish. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that happens, but having somebody interpret, and then, you know, here's another thing. Um, ask God. Uh, sometimes he has a way of answering our questions that, that we could possibly expect him to do so. And I mean, you know, what we're told in scripture uh, in James one, look, if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you without fault finding. Um, and I think that's a, a promise to the church. And normally that has to do with like wisdom under persecution, but that doesn't mean he won't give it to you even when you're not being persecuted and you just want to know more about him and what he's doing with you. Um, he's a good God. So, um, John asked a question. John's asked a couple good questions in the comment. Uh, we haven't been able to address them, but he says, is there any other gift that edifies the person with the gift? Right? So like tongues hmm. is being talked about as this is a gift that edifies you. I would say, Yes, I would say probably all of the gifts edify the individual, but um, it seems as if tongues is the only one that edifies the individual only, exclusively, when it is not partnered with interpretation. That's right. So uh, so, uh, if you'd say like the gift of teaching, like like when God uses me to teach, I'm baffled by it. Um, I was dyslexic. I was not a great student in school still dyslexic but i wasn't a great student in school and the fact that god used Don't you me mean listic constantly i do i do mean listic um <laughs> uh it, it 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 baffles me you know when god uses us uh in mercy and hospitality and you think of when we were a sinner that we were rude and it like this edifies encourages us because god is using sinful people 
for his name and for his glory, I would say, yeah, that definitely edifies the church. Um, yup. Sorry. I, it's so hard for me, Michael, to, I don't know if you can tell, like I'm going to answer a question and then I'm supposed to ask the next question and then I have to like find my place in either my notes or in the question feed. I'm, I'm probably not helping at all because I'm just looking at some of these comments. You're just like laughing at the comments. You're like, you I, just host that show, Josh. Yeah, well, my, my boy Michael Hunter on here, uh, he's just, he didn't have a chance he gets to ridicule. <laughs> hey man, I get it. I understand like being skeptical about this stuff and like, I don't believe, of course, you don't have to believe us. Um, I think I would encourage you, Michael, ask God, like pray and just say, God, are you there? Do you really, is this stuff real? Would you show me? And then see what happens. I, I know that God hears prayers, especially of those who genuinely want to know answers that have a contrite heart. And so I would encourage you to do that. This is and, a great. Uh, and, feel, feel free to keep insulting it. <laughs> I don't find it insulting and I actually love you all the same. So yeah, this is a good question from, uh, I think, is it Rohan? R-O-H-A-N. Uh, That's got to be in, a Lord of the Rings reference. <laughs> it's got to be. Um, it, it, he says, hey, is the gift of interpretation someone who listens in their own and natural language, or is it a person who is hearing an unknown language and the Spirit is bringing to mind like their understanding of it? Um, yeah. I would say the gift of interpretation, when it's not a known human language, um, because like Corinth, for example, Sam Storms goes out of his way to say the gift of interpretation would be unnecessary in the church of Corinth if there was a bunch of known human languages being spoken as the church of Corinth was a bit of a, a cosmopolitan area with lo- it's an import city, lots of uh, tr- foot traffic in that city, lots of different languages being spoken. Um, if these are known human languages, uh, then then uh, 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 why would the, the gift of Oh, so yeah, if they were known human languages, uh, then why would we need a gift of interpretation, right? Uh, and if we were listening in known human languages, what would be the need of the Spirit empowering uh, the gift of interpretation? Interpretation seems to be a, something that's supernatural. So we're understanding a language uh, that we didn't when, know before, or God is bringing to mind uh, an interpretation that we wouldn't have known otherwise. He he might be asking about the me- the mechanics, be- mechanics, the mechanics, yeah, mechanisms. The mechanics, um, and <laughs> the mechanics. this may be helpful. Yeah, my, my <laughs> so kid have, got some mechanics for Christmas last year. <laughs> uh, so, in my experience, people that I know who have the gift of interpretation, my wife being one of them, uh, for her it works different in different times. Like, there's been times where she just knew what the words meant, and been times where she could hear English alongside me speaking, and then there's been times. Uh, where she would get a vision. And and that was sort of what, what she thought might be the interpretation. That was probably a little bit less reliable for her. Uh, I have another friend who he just knows what the words mean. Like, and he can't explain how he knows. He just knows. And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's probably different for different people. Yeah. And, and Wesley, he says, you know, I think uh, that the word of faith uh, has abused these gifts, and we need to reevaluate this. He said, "Thanks for the the, the program." Um, for yeah, for we Wesley and others, we would be in agreement that there are there yeah. are hyper charismatic communities who are misrepresenting the gifts, and those misrepresentations of biblically Holy Spirit inspired gifts are actually the the strongest argument for cessationism. And as people who believe that these gifts are to edify the church, we've got to fight against this. 
Um, right? So, so I believe um, that the gifts of the Spirit are needed because I want to encourage and uplift and give God glory. Uh, and I think that this uh, a holy church, a spotless church, an edified church is someone that brings God more glory. Um, so it's, I think, for our good and for God's benefit that we practice these things. Uh, and the abuses of these things cause us to do nothing but despise these gifts, which is what we're instructed not to do. So Yeah, uh, let me give a couple agree. comments uh, for B-L-I, B-Lee, I guess. Um, can praying in tongues help us interpret the Bible? You were asking this earlier. Like, do you ever pray in tongues when you read the Bible? Does it help you interpret the Bible? I, I don't necessarily think so. I, I think, uh, you know, good courses on hermeneutics and exegesis really help us interpret the Bible. I don't know if tongues necessarily plays a part in it. Maybe it could. Uh, I just don't have any biblical support for it. And R.W.D. um Man, thank you. Thank you. I, I know you disagree with us, and thank you for doing it in a kind manner. And we're glad that you watched the show. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Uh, and and just so you know, I would have more um, more agreement if you if you if you hold yourself in a classical Pentecostal perspective, um, RW, because you're saying like, hey, you guys are third wave, and, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I'm reading uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones here, uh, Prove All Things. Um, he is a second blessing guy. Uh, he is mm-hmm. a he believes in the baptism of the spirit as a a second blessing, uh, which would be much more in line with the classical Pentecostal perspective. And I'm loving every minute of it. I'm gleaning yeah. things from it. Uh, and I would say, hey, uh, as as Christians, we should be listening to our brothers and sisters that we disagree with, which is part of why we do the show, uh, interviewing Presbyterians, yeah. Lutherans, Methodists to come on and have these discussions with us. Uh, someone has brought to my attention that, hey, we're, we're not really interviewing cessationists very often, uh, and we intend to do that. So uh, uh, we've reached out to uh, uh, Jeff Durbin and reached out to, uh, uh, help me with his name. He, he writes responses. James White. To- no, oh no, I haven't reached out to James yet, but, uh, but uh, Tom cool. Schreiner, Tom Schreiner. Tom so Schreiner. yeah, and I'd love to reach out to, to James White as well and talking about these things and getting their perspective uh, because I actually find that most of the cessationists that I really, really enjoy um, are are not all that different than um, than the third uh, Mark wave Devers was super conservative. helpful to me reading, reading his really? book on Ecclesiology, The Nine Marks. I loved it. Oh yeah, and he's a cessationist yeah, as they come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so in, in the conversation of cessationism versus continuationism, we have these cessationists that are like, yeah, God can heal. God can speak to us and lead us. God can uh, um, uh, direct us. And, and all these things that sound very much like prophecy and very much sound like the gift of healing, but they want to define them different. So having these conversations with our cessationist brothers are going to, think, are going to be as edifying as well. So stay tuned for those conversations coming up. Uh, Miller, do you have any closing thoughts for today in, in talking about tongues, things that we didn't cover that we should have? Oh man, I'm sure there's a lot. I'm I'm actually just super appreciative of our audience. You guys are asking great questions, and it's an honor to get to do this. And I, I thank you for taking us so seriously on the whole matter. And um, yeah, I, I, one of these days we are going to do a conference. I know we mentioned it last week, uh, COVID pending and vaccine and all that kind of stuff rolling out. Uh, I really do hope we can do a conference where we can not just talk about the gifts, but we can demonstrate them and practice them. And, and pray for one another. I think that is in the pipeline. And so you guys stay tuned for that. That will eventually happen. So all the same, yeah, thank you uh, for this. In the meantime, uh, Miller is actually going to be at Wellspring Church uh, locally this Sunday. So if you guys are in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and you want to listen to Miller preach, come down to uh, Wellspring. That's uh, Michael's church here, Michael Roundtree's church, uh, Miller that will be visiting. Uh, he's coming into town uh, to do some teachings at the village. Uh, I will be at the village uh, this Sunday. Michael will be here. So uh, if you guys want to say hi, feel free to do so. 
Uh, anyway, uh, that's it. If you guys are blessed by the ministry, uh, man, consider giving one-time gifts there on PayPal. Uh, if you want to give every month, as low as five bucks a month, you can give on Patreon. You get exclusive content. Me and Dawson just filmed an hour-long exegesis of Jeremiah 23. Uh, filmed the thing on prophets and apostles and how do we how do we grapple with modern-day apostles and prophets? What do those gifts look like today if they are, in fact, still around? Uh, and man, lots of extra content on there. If you want to be notified as we're coming out with tons of videos just like this, make sure sure to hit the subscribe button and like the video so that you're getting notifications as we come out with content like this. That's all for me today. So want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.